welcome to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi, Squirrel. Hi there, Jeffrey. So once again, for those who were listening last week, we are back here in sunny Vienna and enjoying the KitCon conference. That's right. And we are gathered with some people who've decided to join us for one of the sessions that we put up, which was the Troubleshooting Agile podcast. And Recording uh, live. That's right. Very exciting. And we have some, some people join us and we did our previous session and now we're moving on to the subject of which we describe as the, the hero's journey. And our hero today is Lydia. Hi, Lydia. Hi. Thanks for joining us. And so we're going to cover, Lydia's going to share with us some of how she has changed her approach to applying Agile principles. Is that right? Yes. And so Lydia is a very experienced person. I've known Lydia for many years now at many KitCons. And so I'm really looking forward to hearing this story and sharing it with all of you. Excellent. Could you give us just a little background, Lydia, on what your team does and, and how, how you work with them? And yeah, then maybe so... start telling us the journey. So I manage the quality and release team at Trove. We make insurance for the things you love is our tagline. I was very lucky to come into my current gig. I have been gifted with a team of people that are lovely, wonderful people that you could only ever imagine to work with, which some days makes it easy as a manager. But wow, they're all super independent. Yeah, and I noticed <laughs> it sounds like they're not software developers, or at least not in the traditional sense. Uh, we, they're we QA have, folks, is that right? Or? We have both. Ah, oh, got it. Okay. So we're a quality and release team, but several people of our several members of our team have like a more traditional development background, and several members of our team have a testing background, a manual testing background, and we all work together to sort of apply the right technique in the right place for the right product to produce better software. And, and that and that idea of selecting the technique based on context, I think, is going to be. That's something we're going to come back to here. Yeah, it, that's that's going to be sort of a, a running theme. I'll sort of start from from the beginning. Yeah, what, tell tell us what. Yeah. Well, see, I remember when I first met Lydia, you you had for some of you were at KinCon, and remember you saying how odd it was to hear the stories of people and their transition because you started on an XP team from day one, so your entry into software was strict XP by the book. And XP being extreme programming for anyone who might not know that particular term. Yes, from from descended from the root tree of XP from the Chrysler C3 project. Wow. So so you knew what it was really all about and you drank the Kool-Aid and you were a believer and Right. And and so I drank the Kool-Aid and I was a believer and and then life changed. And and so, you know, that, that situation was um, something that didn't work out anymore. They stopped paying me. Yeah. So, you know, that doesn't really work out. You had, a, you, had a, you had a disagreement. You wanted to keep being paid and, and they, they had other ideas. Yeah, that seems like a, yeah, that's a nice way to say that. Okay. So then I took a job that was for an automotive manufacturer, which is about as far away. F- I needed to eat. So I, I chose eating over... One of those fundamental human needs. Yes. And so I joined this team as their tech lead. And we should remember in this story, I'm very young. At this point, I am not even yet 25. And you have made me your tech lead. A role I was rather unprepared for, but I like to dive into things. And so I saw it as an exciting and interesting challenge. But my background is pure XP, and this is... The only things I ever saw of XP related to this in the place where I was at were 
Microsoft XP t-shirts. Right. <laughs> Very different meaning of XP. Right. Yeah, it's a little different. Now you came in though as, as lead now, so you are the lead and you know what to do. Yeah. Right. It, I thought so. Yes. So that must have meant you, you knew exactly how to implement all the changes and they adopted XP the next day. No. Oh. <laughs> and, and I realized early on that that was like a, like a ridiculous idea. And the idea being that we were going to immediately transition to XP by the book and you would wholesale adopt the practices that you knew worked and that you had confidence in. Right. Mostly because I think from day one, you could look at that and say, so our business is a automotive manufacturer is so huge that like who is our customer right there there are so many there it's the place i had come from was so small that the answer was very obvious in this situation who is your customer we actually have an internal customer an external customer often you know various levels of stakeholder and and who are they right and what are their needs and what and what are you trying to make happen? At the time, I wasn't incredibly, I was at least mature enough to understand that running in there and trying to change the world was probably a very silly idea. So I did not do that. But I mostly just spent my time being frustrated because I knew that what I wanted to do and how I wanted to work was not, was not going to work in that situation. Mm. And yet I lacked the tools to really to, to either find peace with that situation and acceptance or, or, or figure out a way to, to change it. I just, I, I, you know, it's 24. Yeah. Toolbox is pretty small then. Uh. <laughs> and a 24-year-olds out there may not realize that, that they may feel slightly resentful in one of those. But maybe when they're older, they'll look back and say, wow, there was things I didn't know. Yeah, I mean, so I, I would say at 24, I was mostly just frustrated by that. I, I, I saw no good in this situation and it made me feel angry and I, and I disliked it. That was how, that was 24 year old me. And I think that sounds like a. Per, per, a lot of 24 year olds that we've met at KidCon. Yeah. They, they know the way things should be. Uh, they just need other people to behave differently and then things would be fine. <clears throat> and some 54 year olds as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't think that that's necessarily even an age related thing. It's just no. a, a thing. Absolutely. So it sounds like you weren't able to make very many changes or be as effective as you'd like at that automotive company. Is that right. accurate? So then I moved to an agile consulting company in a, that was not super close to my house. And I was like, oh, great. I will be happy here. Like, I, I know this. I speak this language. And then all of their software projects were not working out either. And I was like. Crisis of faith. Yes. There are more of them, but yes, this is, I, I would say that that's probably like this first moment of crisis of faith and, and just frustration with, you know, pair programming is hard. It's hard to sit next to a person all day long and be in their intimate space. You know, your, your desk is, I, I look at, I think of someone's desk is really like their intimate space. Like they've got all their crumbs from their snacks and their water and their pictures of their kid. Right. It's, it's a very intimate activity and not everyone enjoys doing that for, you know, nine, eight, nine, ten 10 hours a day. 
And did you find that was an objection that the other Agile consultants had, that the clients had, that everyone had? I, I just, I found when I would ask people to, to pair, people would say, it's intense. I, I can't do that all day. And I, and eventually, and I was, I was not, again, still less mature. I found that answer frustrating and as opposed to really a, a, an opportunity to understand the objection and, and like things like that just kept happening to me, you know, various principles that the, the counter examples, and we can't do this here. We can't do this here. We can't do this here. And I, and I, and I had sort of like, I, I was looking at things from very much at that point in my life as like practices as opposed to, to principles. Mm. And so eventually I, I, I left, I went back to the other place where I had been happy and then I wasn't happy there. Mm. That must've been disappointing thinking that you were going to go home again and, and to the comforting arms that you had uh, known originally, but then. Yeah. I mean, I think you realize like, it's, it's a, I think that's a very common point in your, in your life in your like sort of mid twenties that you realize that like you can never go home again. But that, but that very much happens. Like you are not the same person who walked in, who, who left the, who left home and who's coming back and they are not. And, and home has also changed. Right. They cannot possibly stay the same or if they have stayed the same, you know, you've looked at different experiences and, and you find that scary. Right. And I expect this must've been even more troubling because you could sort of explain the differences that you experienced once you, when you left by well those organizations but now you're back in the same organization and still things weren't working how you anticipated yeah and so shortly after that i i made a, a big move a big jump i moved cities packed up shop moved cities with my husband and that was a very interesting time in my life so I took a, I took a new job and I told myself in this new job, like, what if I don't try to change anything? And which is, that's a very different point of view. Yeah. Mostly because I said, well, I don't like trying to change things. Doesn't make me happy. Like what, like, what if, what if we look at it and say, are we delivering software? And, and like, Break it down to, am I delivering software or if there is a change we want to make, it's not just a change I want to make. I want it to be a change. I want buy-in from everyone. I, I still was not very good at, you know, there were some things I, I did want to change. I actually spent several weeks just, you know, working. I tried that out for, for a change getting to know my coworkers. And then there were some points where people were frustrated and we said, oh, you know, our unit test coverage is 10%. And, you know, it's not, it's not very good. And I said, well, why, why don't we just write more unit tests? And, <laughs> and they said, well, it's really hard to in this situation. And, and I was like, okay, where's it hard? And we, we kind of all came to the answers together about what, where we would go, what we do and what we'd focus on. And then there was this other, there was another pain point in terms of like delivering software. Like it's very hard to get this thing deployed. And so we spent 
a lot of time looking at how we could do that better and or how we could create a rollback mechanism, right? And that was actually somebody else's, you know, project and, and baby, so to speak. But we've created a different, we've created a culture at that moment where people felt, you know, empowered to to grow and make changes and to do things and to try things out. And maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But the big change I noticed from your earlier history is that those things sounded like they were jointly designed. So it doesn't sound like it was something that you just came along and said, here's a practice. We did it at the XP type company. And it works and it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then everybody says, but it's not awesome for us or we don't see the benefit or we don't see what results it has. Sounds like this was driven the other way. Yeah. We have bad unit test coverage. What can we do, Lydia? Yeah. And that so, sounds like a better way to go at it. It was much better. We had a lot more fun. We did, you know, there was software that was getting delivered. It was generally joyful to go to work. And I really enjoyed that practice. I, I left that job and then I did a bunch of projects that were like abandoned, but they wanted a developer to do, you know, fix X bug for X number of dollars and 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 then not make things worse. Right. It, which is actually an entirely interesting problem set. And I said, well, I want to make things, so I will do this. A bunch of developmental piecework. Yes. And you'd open up a project and there were no unit tests. <laughs> or they didn't work. Or I was better off than when there were none. Right. <laughs> and and you'd go well, I, I have like a, this personal practice that I like to do when I'm developing, right? I, I like to make working software. I said that that is something that I think is important. When you are writing software, you should make working software. And I don't want to make the world worse. I don't want to introduce new bugs. And so I said, but I knew from previous experience that adding unit tests into a project that has done is, it's not a futile, but I didn't have that kind of time or money. I got it. It didn't fit the, the context you're being asked to work in. Yeah. And I could simply refuse to do the work, but I would. I wanted to earn some money and work. And so it's like, well, how does this fit? Like, how do I make, how do I figure this out within this world? And I came to this realization that like, if you're making a website, right, you can change a few lines of code, pull it up on your local machine, push some buttons and... That's like testing too, yeah. <laughs> right? And it's not necessarily a unit test, but you, or and some, but some of the same thinking that went into how would I test this? How would I make this work? How can I change a few lines of code and actually see something happen on a screen? That practice is and and principle is is all the same. So I started again thinking a lot more in terms of like what distilling down like. So I want to test something like, what does that mean? And, and like, what does that really mean? Not like in this context, what level of, what do we need is what, what level yeah. of certainty do we need? What's the future? Is this a, a change that we just need to test once? And then no one expects to ever touch this again, at least not till the next time they call you in two years. And that's different than the context of daily changes. Yes. And, 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 um, I did some other things that were also, I think, sort of central to my personal practice. When I was pregnant and developing, I developed a practice where 
and was having complications. And I never knew hour to hour if I was going to be at work that next hour. Mm -hmm. And so I took checking in frequently sort of like to an extreme level, as in I checked in like every hour. And then if I, if I looked at the clock and it was a half hour and I'd had four contractions and my limit was six, it was like, let's hit that button one more time. <laughs> so I, I might not be back here for another day or two or something else. I or never. Know. Yep. Cause I was leaving my job when I had my baby. Got it. So, so we're, we're here, we're following you the journey. You start off as being indoctrinated into XP and you're, in, as you're fresh out of uni, you, you, you're a believer, an acolyte, a devotee. You, you, you leave the nest of that first XP role. You go into a couple different organizations. You find frustration. You try to go back, back to the original organization. Still doesn't, it's not working. You make this big change and now you're in, in, in embracing different contexts. And particularly, it sounds like the mean, you had this amazing experience of not, of, of creating change by not trying to change things. And then a whole set of different circumstances. And that leads you now up to your current position. Yeah. So eventually, you know, I kind of meandered back into finding full-time work and, and, you know, trying some different things out. And I, my first really full-time gig back in said, okay, so we need a quality person. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I was like, I'm not a, a, like a QA person. They're like, you will be brilliant. And I was like, I mean, that's lovely. But, and, and then I gave them my list of constraints because I had a long list of constraints. And I said, if you can meet these constraints, then, then we can do business together until we find that, that we don't, doesn't. it doesn't, right? So they met the constraints and I started and I joined and we, and it was, um, it was an interesting experience. So I realized that my natural inclination to question how things are tested or how much testing we need, should it be automated? Should it not be automated? What's the cost of automation? Maintaining automation is expensive. What, like, there's a whole long list of questions when you look at things from a perspective of we need to, the, our, when your job is something should have high quality, but your constraint, and this is not everyone's constraint, but these were the constraints I was under, you can't tell the developers what you do. Okay. That seems fair. Like they're, you know, either a slightly separate team or you work with them, but you're not you can't tell them what to do or how to do it or any of these things. And you can't do it yourself, so to speak. So we were in an industry that was regulated. And so there's a reason why a quality person isn't supposed to be in the code because that blurs the lines. Mm -hmm. right. Okay. Separation of uh, responsibilities. And, and pretty cons common in regulated industry. Sure. Yes. So you go, Oh, that's interesting. So, I took over that, that organization's quality department and sort of like built up my team. And we started like looking at what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it and think like thinking about just like, what are our constraints? What are the things we have to work within? What is the easiest way we can accomplish this? And the question of like, what is the easiest, simplest and fastest way to accomplish these things was were, were key questions because Quality often comes, it's always mixed up in the, in the middle of everything, mm -hmm. but there's never enough time for that. 
Like it's just, it's once it hits a, once a developer says it's done, it hits the quality person's hands and business. It's in, I think it's just instinctual to say, well, but the hard work's been done. Like, can't we just have it now? <laughs> and, and so you, you start looking at those sorts of constraints and saying, well, this is a really fun set of problems to solve. And I found it to be very joyful because I was kind of set free of the world that I was in when I started, where like, we have to follow these practices. This is the, the way, the truth and the light. And, you know, any other way is not, a, is not real or correct or appropriate. And I said, well, we can do anything as long as we do these things that have to be done. And keeping that list updated was interesting because it meant you had to go talk to the developers, you had to go talk to business, you had to go talk to everybody to make sure that your list of things here was right. And then the questions around, there was another constraint is that like, you can't sit around and say, and, and, and attack other people's work. So the other constraint is, is that you have to look at it from a, a what can I do perspective it has to be something that you can do or, but not something you have to force someone else to do. So when I look at processes on my team, I always look internally first and then, and, and I'm teaching my teams to do this as well, to think about like, well, is this, pro is this a problem I can solve on my own or is this a problem I can solve within my team? Mm -hmm. And then if this is a problem I have to go outside of my team, we we go, hmm, is there a way we can maybe solve this within our team or by talking with someone, but not asking someone to do something? Because we found that that is not a way to make change or success. And Sounds like principle number 11, the best architectures, requirements, and designs emerge from self-organizing teams. Yeah, so so you found that empowering your team is more useful than driving practices. Would that be a, a good summary? Yes, I, I would say that that's where I eventually wound up is that the practices are, are, are guidelines, not goals, guidelines. And you should find what works for your team for, the, for that moment for your team. So it might not work forever. You just have to constantly look and reevaluate and enjoy the challenge that that presents and make that fun. Like not scary for everyone, but fun. Well, I, thank you a lot for sharing that story. I know from uh, our experience at past KipCons and talking to people about what they were feeling, I know a lot of people have shared that the frustrations of your 24-year-old self where they're sure about the way that things should be done and they can't see how things could possibly get better unless people do all these practices that they've read about and they're very excited about. And it sounds like I, I hope that our listeners hear your story and the transformation from a focus on practices to focus on outcomes of that sort of working software and how we're going to work together to get the goals within the constraints of our situation and uh, find that very heartening and, uh, and motivating. Excellent. And uh, that's, of course, why we talked about the 12 Agile Principles, which we've now concluded as a section of the, of the podcast. Jeffrey, we better get together and figure out what our organizing principle is next because we're, we're done here at KitCon. Thanks to everybody for participating and coming along to our sessions to record a couple of episodes. We've got to figure out what comes next. Yeah, and, and, and luckily we, uh, we, we have in the wide world of Agile, 
We know there's more stories out there to uncover, and we would love to hear from our listeners. If you have stories that you'd like to share or maybe problems that you've encountered. We'd love to troubleshoot Android problems. That's right. Give them the title. And so uh, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you again next week. Excellent. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Will. Thanks, everybody.